This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. A new NSF system for TAC. Plus installations at NREL, Hokkaido, and Zimbabwe. Ah, Zimbabwe, really. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, we're going to go around the world with a couple of different installations, including that Zimbabwe one we just teased. But let's start with the biggest one. There's a new NSF award for a new system going into Texas Advanced Computing Center, or TAC. Yeah, that's uh, the biggest NSF system since uh, Stampede 2, which was... Uh, also TAC. On, also TAC, right. TAC's on a, on a winning streak here. That was that came into, uh, into production last year, in the middle of the year. And this one is actually scheduled to be installed at TAC sometime in 2019. So this is a $60 million uh, system, the NSF allocated $60 million for this system. Uh, everybody, I, I can, it's safe to assume all the NSF supercomputing centers bid on this. Uh, TAC won out again, following up on, on, on Stampede 2 win, but uh, they're going to get the new one. And that's, uh, that's going to be a much bigger system than Stampede 2 or the Blue Water system, which it's sort of intended to to replace in that sense. It's supposed to be two to three times the application performance of Blue Waters. Now, we don't know a whole lot about um, Blue Waters and LINPAC. They've obviously run a lot of applications at, at the University of Illinois there, but that system had a peak performance of 13.3 petaflops. So if you sort of keep that ratio the same, this new machine uh, funded by the NSF should be in the range of something like 26 to maybe 50 peak petaflops. So it'll be a, a good sized machine for the NSF, certainly. Right. So $60 million for NSF for that TAC facility. And you're right. We, we wound up not seeing Blue Waters on the top 500 list. We, we believe they did run LINPAC, but never submitted it to top 500. So we can't do that direct comparison. And you pointed out in your article, the last time, therefore, that we've had an NSF funded machine in the top 10 of the top 500 list was November 2015. So if this right. were to make the next list, that'd be a, a three year gap. Yeah, and it certainly will make the, list, the the next list. Now, we don't know quite where that's going to fall. Um, it's getting pretty competitive at the top of the list these days, but it is a big system. But, I mean, you sort of look at the history, and I sort of talk about this a little bit in my in my article. You know, the NSF has, has sort of been building smaller and smaller systems. I mean, certainly 26 to 50 peak petaflops is not a small system, but compared to something like Summit, which is on the order of 200 petaflops, it's a much smaller system than that. And they've tended to run pretty much second tier behind the DOE uh, in sort of the supercomputing sweepstakes in the U.S. And it should also be pointed out, they're putting $60 million, which is a lot of money for the system. But uh, when they built Blue Waters, that was a $200 million NSF funded allocation. It's a much bigger allocation. Their NSF seems to be spending its money a little more uh, uh, interestingly in the in the past few years. I think they're spreading their money across smaller projects and different things, some of which are software related, uh, not as much for hardware procurements. But uh, certainly this will be the biggest system they've ever 
uh, deployed nonetheless. Well, the as you've pointed out, the, the top systems in the U.S. now are tended to be funded by the DOE rather than the NSF. So maybe what we're seeing there is a, is a result of that. While we do have some large academic supercomputers, the academic institutions also tend to draft off of these major DOE installations. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's a little bit confusing if you were, if you just, you know, plop down the earth uh, and, and looked at sort of the, the division of labor here. It would look a little odd. The DOE Office of Science, uh, they partner with universities just like the NSF-funded supercomputing centers, too. So in a sense, they look like they're sort of competing with each other for sort of some of this basic science and a- even application science research uh, doing you know, scientific simulations of modeling of various kinds. It's not just uh, energy production and security on the DOE side. They're into life sciences. They do quite a bit, uh, even basic science physics on that side. So uh, the DOE seems to get the lion's share of the money, and therefore they get the bigger systems. But, uh, you know, the NSF's trying to hold its own, and this will this will fund a lot of researchers in those uh, in, in those universities that uh, that are looking for the for NSF research projects. Now we know that this is a phase one system that's expected to last five years, and TAC will already begin working on a proposal for a phase two system. But we don't have information yet as to whose machine this is going to be or or what the architecture is, do we? No, that uh, that information, as far as I know, is not forthcoming. But you're you're right. The phase two system, which is going to be supposedly ten times bigger than this phase one system, is already going to be worked on during the phase one work over the next five years. So, in a sense, it's the phase two system actually looks potentially like the much more interesting system here. Um, but this one, again, we don't know much about the nature of it or, or even the the vendor. Uh, the vendor set behind it. So we'll, uh, presumably we'll find that out pretty soon since we're expecting a, a 2019 deployment. Okay, well, let's start bouncing around the world. Let's stay within the United States first, though. We were talking about the Department of Energy, and we do have a another system to report there, this going into NREL, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. This has been an HPE shop for a while now, and that's going to continue with a new HPE SGI 8600 cluster that's eight petaflops. Right. That'll be certainly NREL's biggest uh, system. It's going to replace Peregrine eventually. That's a, that's the system running there now at 2.26 petaflops. So they're getting almost uh, almost four times the peak performance on this new system. And we do know this is an HPE system. We know it's going to be an SGI uh, 8600 cluster, which is uh, something HP has sold a lot of into the HPC space and in various places. So it's a, a well-known commodity. And since NREL basically does uh, simulations and work to support energy efficiency and renewable resource research, they they often pick their, or I should say, they always pick their supercomputers to sort of reflect that. So they always pick uh, as energy efficient, an energy efficient supercomputer as they can. And in this case, uh, the 8600 is, is one of those. It's a warm water system. Uh, it's actually the same system that's running at, uh, at uh, Tokyo Tech and Subami, Subami 3.0. And that has a power effective usage effectiveness ratio of 1.033, which is quite good. I'm not saying that the NREL system will be as efficient as that, but that's certainly something they're aiming for. They want a very energy efficient system to do their their energy efficiency research. 
Yeah, and we said that this has traditionally been an HPE shop, but here they're bringing in a technology they wouldn't have had before uh, by bringing in this SGI 8600 line. This is interesting to me because it shows the extent to which HPE has really succeeded in incorporating these SGI architectures into their their HPC lines where where we see sometimes an Apollo and then sometimes coming back over to an SGI system. Yeah, and this is actually going to be a pretty pretty vanilla system. It's going to be Xeon Skylakes. There's going to be no uh, Xeon Phi's in it or anything like that. The other one was actually was a mixture of Xeon's and Xeon Phi's. This one is going to be pure Skylake. So they've they've optimized all around that. All the nodes will be dual sockets, and uh, they're going to reach something on the order of 96 to 760 gigabytes per node, depending upon if you're a high or low memory node. So sort of reflecting of, of the older system Peregrine, but with updated uh, updated processors all around. Well, and this does interest me because in as much as it wouldn't surprise me to see any new HPC system using Skylake processors without other accelerators or coprocessors, here with the emphasis on power efficiency to go with an all Skylake system, I think is noteworthy. Yeah, they could have opted certainly for GPUs, which has a lot of built-in energy efficiency of its own, but then they've got to worry about you know, their, their simulation codes that they want to run on these things. And, you know, for all we know, those codes aren't ported to GPUs yet or it's too much trouble to do that. So, yeah, they went for a, a, a pure CPU-type system and uh, they still got uh, the they still got it within the energy limits and the energy efficiency limits of, of what they wanted. So that was that's good news for them. Leaving the country now and heading west across the Pacific at Hokkaido University in Japan, an interesting installation of four petaflops with Fujitsu teaming up with Mirantis. But this is interesting because they're saying it's a combination of a supercomputer and a cloud system. Yeah, and it seems like the Japanese are sort of moving more to that model where they, either they're putting their supercomputing resource into a cloud or putting a cloud platform on it, or in this case, it looks like they're building two separate systems. One of it is a dedicated supercomputer, and the other one is an HPC cloud system, but they're both dedicated for academic researchers in Japan. It's going into Hokkaido University, but the way it's uh, the way it's going to be structured, it's going to be available to uh, university researchers throughout the country. Yeah, so there's the supercomputer, but then even that in of itself, as you point out in your article on top500.org, is really two separate systems. There's a primer G cluster uh, that's Intel Xeon, and then there's another primer G that's Intel Xeon Phi, and it's not clear to me the extent to which you're going to have single applications that are running across both of those nodes. And then furthermore, you get into the cloud system, that's really spread across eight sites. And it, to me, it seems like to what extent is this really a cloud versus it's eight separate systems that you're connecting on some sort of network and you're going to call it a cloud. Yeah, well, I think that's what they're doing. They're going to call it a cloud, but they're connecting this on the, uh, the Cynet 5, the fifth generation Cynet uh, 100G academic network that actually connects hundreds of sites throughout Japan. That's a high performance uh, network they use for this. So, and, and then on that cloud system, they're going to put the, a cloud stack on top of it. So you get, and that's where the Mirantis comes in. They have this platform as a service software they're going to use for that component of it. So they're going to be able to run essentially virtual machines or containers or even bare metal workloads across those seven clusters. 
and presumably if that uh, Cyanet 5 system works as as expected, it'll run like any cloud that you get uh, that you're used to in a, in a public uh, sense as well. Yeah, so it's just pointing out that this isn't like it's a single four petaflops of capability. To me, this is really 10 separate resources that are now uh, being aggregated up to, to four petaflops. And it's nice yeah. from an installation point of view. For me, I'm going to look mostly at that thousand node uh, uh, primer G CX 2550M for the Xeon scalable processor node. I think that's the biggest individual res resource here going into Hokkaido. Yeah, you're right. That is the biggest one. And, and that's right. The, the Fujitsu system and all these systems, I think the supercomputers and the cloud subsystems at, uh, at Hokkaido, at least are scheduled to begin before the end of the year, I think in December. So we should see those come up and, and see some interesting work on those. All right, let's wrap up the podcast by uh, going to Africa for the last one. Now, this is only 300 teraflops, but I think certainly <laughs> worth mentioning because this one's going into Zimbabwe at uh, the University of Zimbabwe in Harare. Yeah, I got I to gotta admit, I was a little surprised to see a system of that size. I wasn't even sure what size system Zimbabwe had. None of them were on the top 500 list. The system they have there now in Zimbabwe is 36 teraflops. Uh, that's an Inspur cluster. Um, and Inspur is actually going to be the vendor to deliver the 300 teraflop system. So they're going to they're going to stick with Inspur on this. But the interesting thing, not that they're just moving up by basically nearly 10x, they're they're going to be the second. Uh, they're going to be second on the African continent as far as uh, peak performance in in the in the systems. Obviously, the petaflop system at the South African Center of High Performance Computing, that's Lengau, uh, at at over a petaflop peak, is the largest system in Africa now by far. Uh, but this system will will get it close, uh, assuming the the South Africans don't build a, another system or an addition to that one. This is. Uh, they're going to become the number two uh, supercomputing power in Africa. Now, this is with systems coming from Inspur. Traditionally, these have been uh, Inspur-provided systems going into Zimbabwe. The, the U.S. Uh, vendors weren't likely to have touched these Zimbabwe things geopolitically until recently. We had the dictator Robert Mugabe in charge. Now, he was overthrown a few months ago. Uh, we now have uh, a democratic government in charge, so we might see this uh, evolving a little differently as the as the region hopefully stabilizes. Yeah, and I think China and uh, companies like Inspur and maybe others that are Chinese-based will have the inside track. China, the government has put a lot of emphasis on the developing countries in China and is handing out interest-free loans for certain projects in in addition to projects they're just sponsoring. Now, in this case, actually, they are giving interest-free interest loans for this Inspur cluster. They gave it for the original cluster that's in there now, and they're going to get another interest-free loan for the 300 teraflop system. So uh, Inspur has the inside track, and China uh, has the inside track in uh, in some of these African countries, it looks like, for the time being. So uh, a little geopolitical maneuvering going on here. Um, and uh, sort of filtering back to what uh, how China maybe is going to expand some of its HPC footprint globally in uh, in, in the race to uh, to dominance here. 
Well, and with any supercomputing installation, the thing that's most interesting to me is what are they going to mm-hmm. run on it? So, you know, that's something I'm definitely going to be looking forward to. Maybe we'll get some news coming out of supercomputing or the national CHPC conference in South Africa by the end of the year. I'll really be interested in, in hearing about what's going on in Zimbabwe if we can get an update on that. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. There's no hard date when that 300 teraflop system's coming into uh in coming into production but i assume it's going to be fairly soon now so yeah hopefully uh by the end of the year at the at the south african conference or later on we'll figure out what the what the zimbabwe's are doing with the new uh the new power fantastic michael we're going to have a lot more updates coming from this week in hpc as the hot chips conference starts taking off so i'll take some notes there maybe we'll come back soon and uh, have another update for our listeners Sounds good. All right. Thanks a lot, Michael. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.